Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. All right, we have with us today Mark T. Mitchell. He is the Dean of Academic Affairs and Professor of Government at Patrick Henry College in Virginia. He earned his doctorate at Georgetown University, and he's the co-founder and president of the popular online journal Front Porch Republic. He has several previous books, including The Limits of Liberalism, Tradition, Individualism, and the Crisis of Freedom, The Politics of Gratitude, Scale, Place, and Community in a Global Age, and The Culture of Immodesty in American Life and Politics. Our topic today is a new book just out from Regnery. It's called Purity and Power, the Unholy Marriage that Spawned America's Social Justice Warriors. Uh, Dean Mitchell, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. All right, well, let's jump right in. We have two elements in the book that have come together in this unholy marriage. Just give us the broad outlines. What are the two elements that have joined to produce this phenomenon of the, the social justice warrior in our world today? Yeah, it's a good question and the obvious question, I suppose. And and it, there there are two elements that that don't seem like they should go together. Um, and and what I'm suggesting is is that you have a kind of uh, mixture, an odd mixture of what we might call residual puritanism, which in broader terms is is really just uh, the the leftover remains of Christianity, uh, and combined with a uh, a will to power that can be traced, at least in its philosophical uh, roots, back to none other than Friedrich Nietzsche. So these these characters I, 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 I call the, so the Nietzsche's Puritan warriors are are a, a strange combination of two, I suppose, surprising and, and ultimately incompatible um, elements. Well, they I, I think that you're you're on to something here in bringing these two streams together. And the incompatibility of the two makes sense, especially when we look at a great deal of the irrationality and the excitability of your standard social justice warrior today. One of the, maybe the, the groundwork has been prepared for the rise of the social justice warriors by a simple phenomenon that you identify early in the book when you say, quote, we have lost faith in the very ideals that made us who we were. Now, I think that fits in in terms of the ideals of, of God, family, patriotism, understanding those as ideals, just simply as things to aspire toward 
that that seems to have been become very distant in the eyes of the social justice warriors who are all about the ideal society and and justice as the removal of all discrimination from the world. But do they realize that they have lost something? E- even maybe me unconsciously or consciously, do they recognize that there is a great absence at, at the center of their faith, whatever faith they faith in those those social justice ideals? Do they know it? That, that's a that's an interesting way to put it, and uh, sort of compelled by a great absence. I mean, you could you could certainly spin this into various ways uh, and directions. I think. Uh, Sort of a, a longing for a father figure that that is that is absent, which interestingly enough was was a a feature of Nietzsche's own biography. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think everyone has a uh, kind of uh, well, f- first of all, a faith, uh, and and it, Kierkegaard himself. It's interesting, you know, back in the 19th century, as a young man, he said, "I long for something." Um, to live for something ultimately uh, that I could die for, and I think you know he, he found eventually this in Christian faith, um, and and what we have I think is is kind of deflation in some respects of the of the of the contours of of Christian uh, belief in our nation in, in, among Americans. And and, uh, and and a recognition deep down at a, at a profoundly uh, unarticulated level, I think, in many respects, a recognition that that something has to replace it, and and this this something becomes uh, a cause, a cause that, that that holds out promise to. To satisfy this profound longing that you're that you're uh, alluding to, and and uh, I think this the social justice movement uh, understood in those terms is a kind of surrogate religious movement. And as other people have pointed out, as I do in my book, it's, there are uh, profoundly Christian uh, categories that that uh, sort of line up here. You know, even in terms of of uh, a sense of orthodoxy. Uh, and and uh, and confession and and penance and and sacrifice and 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 all the rest. And so, what needs to be pointed out is that that this is not a kind of uh, uh, wholesale rejection of Christianity, but a kind of of uh, piecemeal appropriation of some features of Christianity, along with the rejection of the center of Christianity, namely Christ. And that desiccated Christianity, a kind of hollowed out version, can be can be filled up with a kind of you know, passionate intensity uh, in in the direction of of social justice, uh, which in itself makes no sense unless there's such a thing as social injustice. And so there's this profound appeal to to moral categories and standards. Uh, that that make no sense apart from an appeal to to a metaphysic that simply can't be accommodated in terms of uh, brute materialism uh, or, or naturalism uh, that that seems to be uh, walking hand in hand with this kind of book. The the, uh, the the notion that that has been sort of circulating the last thirty years is that 
is that people uh, abandoning Christianity become relativists. You know, the, the language of relativism is sort of uh, on uh, many people's lips as a kind of uh, criticism, uh, the secularist side of, of uh, society. I just don't see it. Um, it's certainly not moral relativism. Uh, it's, it's, it's a profound appeal to uh, deep convictions about moral truths that, uh, in a sense, as Kierkegaard said, give people something uh, to live for and even perhaps to die for. Uh, and that's and we need to come to grips with this. It's not a kind of easygoing shrug the shoulders. Um, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and 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 it's okay, uh, whatever. Uh, no, there is a profound absence of that easygoing tolerance in favor of a an absolute demand that uh, that that certain standards are upheld. And if they are questioned or rejected, there's just there's there's hell to pay. You you have a nice little section in the book on this kind of relativism, and you're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense for them to adopt this. Well, that's your truth, and I have my truth, which sounds like we're going to have a nice pluralism of perspectives out there. But what follows this relativism very quickly is again, that's coercive demand that one set of truths be upheld over over all others. What is the criteria that sets one person's truth over another person's truth in this kind of relativistic openness? Mm-hmm. Well, there, there isn't any. And this is sort of the... Um... It was it was a topic I, I uh, addressed to some extent in a previous book called The Limits of Liberalism, and then sort of opened the door to this Nietzschean reflection, and then and then extended in this book, and that is um, when all restraints, all limits, uh, are thrown off in the name of a kind of of uh, well a false view of freedom ultimately. Uh, the final move is an inversion, not uh, turning away from absolute freedom into a kind of a tyrannical moment, uh, politically uh, or individually. And so you see, beginning in the in the 17th century, a kind of uh, wholesale rejection of tradition among the cutting edge philosophers like Descartes, Bacon, and so on. Uh, 19th century, you see with with uh, Nietzsche and others. Nietzsche is not unique in in declaring that God is dead or no longer uh, an an operational concept. And and today we're we're sort of extending it even into the the realm of of biology itself. That that we can be liberated liberated from the constraints of biological existence or biological verities. And, you know, maleness and femaleness are are simply social constructs, which are the impositions of 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 extrinsic factors. Someone, uh, something more powerful than me, imposing something upon me, and I can decide to submit to that, uh, or I can I can reject it. And so this this uh, absolute liberation from any sense of constraint or limit uh, isn't ultimately liberating. It, it it turns into a kind of vicious uh, authoritarianism, and it, and this is really the the kind of impulse 
that's at the heart of the, the social justice movement. It's, we're going to be liberated, we're going to be free, and if you disagree, you will um, be compelled to be silent. You will be, um, uh, you'll, you'll be constrained from, from, from dissent. And so it's, it's the, the same impulse is, is you can see this back even in the in the 18th century with uh, Rousseau, who uh, in his discussion of the general will, ominously said anyone who disagrees with the general will will be forced to be free, uh, compelled to accede to a particular vision of things, because if you really knew it was good for you, that's what you'd do anyway. So it can be couched in, in the language of compassion and, uh, and, 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 uh, and all the rest, uh, but it's still, at, at, uh, there's, a, there's an iron fist, uh, uh, even if it's surrounded by a kind of uh, compassionate rhetoric. Yeah, you have a great line on page 35 that summarizes that point neatly. Quote, if you listen to the rhetoric of the social justice warriors, you hear not the easygoing platitudes of the relativist, but the hard-edged assertions of the absolutist. And I think the formula is, is clear. In a relativistic world, someone's going to take power. And you, you, know, you, you can't just eliminate the need for people to start organizing and to arranging things and to erecting common commitments. And the way the social justice warriors do it, well, we see the kind of bullying and coerciveness that goes on now. And turning to Nietzsche, I think, is a, is a wise move. And you spend several pages really giving a nice, neat exposition of Nietzsche's views. So let me go back to one point. What did Nietzsche exactly think of Christianity? What were his broad views of what Christianity amounted to? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good question, right? That really is the the central question uh, to get at Nietzsche. I think um, he says at the introduction to um, Beyond Good and Evil, one of his his books, that Christianity is nothing more than Platonism for the people, uh, which in a way gets you somewhere. Uh, that is um, the, the Platonic philosophy that he so despised. Uh, saw a kind of hierarchy of reality that ultimately uh, was uh, was ordered to and by uh, some notion of the good that was uh, prior to, to human will, uh, and that human beings, if they were to flourish or to uh, have a successful life or to access truth, uh, had to be ordered to this notion of the good, which finds uh, it is really the source of the great transcendentals of of beauty and and moral goodness and truth and uh and and, and Nietzsche sees this uh and and uh and for christianity uh, he he can never what well, what he sees of christianity is profoundly right in one respect um that that uh, that Christians following uh, Christ uh, affirm a kind of of uh, rejection of of self-assertion that we we submit ourselves to our Lord uh, because that's what we were created uh, for uh, and and this is what a a properly ordered life looks like it's a life of service 
a life of submission, a life ordered uh, to by love, and and ultimately um, uh, in in uh, a, a willing uh, abnegation of of our uh, individual autonomous wills for the sake of of uh, of living faithfully to 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 our Lord. And and he sees in this kind of uh, self-sacrifice, this this willing uh, giving of oneself for someone else, as a uh, as as a sign of weakness. The Christianity for Nietzsche um, has disrupted all of history. Um, it it uh, for him uh, uh, exhibited the the success of a kind of of power rooted in resentment by uh, taking over the the proud Romans and reducing them to to meek Christians, uh, and and he and he he sees a kind of pathological um, sickness in in a story that would include a crucified God. That is, if if for Nietzsche, and you have to just get this very clear, for Nietzsche. If there is no God, then all there is ultimately is is self-assertion, is what he calls the will to power. And so if there is only the will to power, any kind of self-sacrifice or a, 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 a willing subjection of my will to someone else's is a sign of my weakness. And so Christianity is a is a uh, a religion of sickness, of ill health, of of a kind of constricting uh, and constricted uh, resentment. Uh, and if all of life is the will to power, there has to be attempts to break out. But if you're weak, how do you break out? How do you exert your power? You have to do it secretly, cunningly, uh, in the mode of what Nietzsche calls the priest rather than the knights and the, and the nobility who's sort of in a joyful, spontaneous, creative exhibition of, of, uh, of life and health uh, exercise their power. The alternative, the priestly alternative, he calls it, is subterranean and, 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 uh, and characterized by, by resentment. And Christianity, he thinks, is that. But the fact that Christianity uh, proves itself essentially victorious in the West, demonstrates for Nietzsche the, the level of sickness in the West. That, that uh, it, it's a kind of victory of, of, the, of the weak, sick, priestly class. And, and this is a sign of the decay, the decadence of an entire civilization. And so the only way to overcome this is to, is to get beyond Christianity or in a way behind it, sort of try to scrape away the, the residue of Christianity uh, and, and to recover a kind of original, proud, and, and uh, spontaneous, creative uh, exertion of power that isn't confined by or constrained by uh, this, this weak, sick mode of being. And so for Nietzsche, uh, the project of, of declaring that God is dead is really just the, the first step in trying to eradicate all vestiges of Christianity. 
uh, he he can't stand uh, the the 19th century moralists uh, like the the Kantians who speak in in terms of of moral duties or the utilitarians who speak in terms of the of the greatest happiness principle. He calls utilitarians blockhead, and uh, and and he and he, he can't stand because essentially what they're saying is, yeah, we don't need we don't need God. He's not a central part of 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 uh, our moral philosophy, maybe not even a necessary part, uh, depending on which deontologist or which utilitarian you read. But but nevertheless, let's go on um, behaving uh, according to what we might call traditional moral categories. Let's let's be nice. And Nietzsche has no time for this ungrounded niceness. It again is a kind of res- residue of Christianity. So we, so what he, he asked the real hard questions and he asked the right question. And that is, if you're going to, if you're going to dispense with God, we gotta, we gotta put traditional morality under the microscope and it doesn't show up well for Nietzsche. It, it, it can't hold together apart from this theistic assumption, get rid of theism. You have to get rid of morality. Uh, ultimately he says, uh, uh, you have to get rid of even the concept of truth has to be, has to be thrown out the window. Uh, because truth for Nietzsche is, is a theistic, uh, category that's, it's rooted in a way of seeing the world as structured according to a particular order that, that, that is uh, uh, something that we can know, but we can't alter in terms of its fundamental order. He even goes so far and so radical in a late uh, essay uh, written just, just months before he, uh, he descended into insanity. Uh, he says, I fear that we have not yet got rid of God because we still have faith in grammar. So he's he's just will try and in a kind of desperate gesture to 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 really cut clear to the bone, but obviously how do you how do you suspend your faith in grammar and go on speaking intelligibly or writing a book intelligibly? It, 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 it's it's a kind of self refuting enterprise, and and some have even suggested that that Nietzsche recognizes the self-refuting uh, nature of this entire project he's embarked upon. And this is, in fact, what, what contributes to his, his final descent into, into insanity. You know, when you look at the social justice warriors as a first step in their crusade, do you find the same self-renunciation of, of Christianity among them or no? And uh, it's not as explicit. It's not a, a kind of um, what, what's what's interesting about this stuff. Uh, the social justice warriors is is Nietzsche would despise them. Right. They 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 kind of borrow bits and pieces from Nietzsche. You see this shouting down your opponents, for instance. It's it's simply we don't need to listen. We're going to assert our power uh, for the sake of 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 this this. Uh, Standard of justice that we affirm, but it's always in 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 groups. It's it's Nietzsche despises uh, what he calls herd mentality, uh, and he thinks Christianity is 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 a great example of the herd. He he says in a pithy statement, uh, the the weak congregate, the strong dominate, and and what you have in in, uh, in with the the social justice movement is groups of people 
uh, often young young people, college students, and so on. Um, shutting people down, shouting opponents down in the name of democracy, in the name of equality. Well, Nietzsche thinks democracy is impossible without Christianity. He says the heir to Christianity is democracy. He says you just can't you can't uh, have one without the other. You can't have democracy without Christianity. Equality. Equality is exactly a standard that weak people affirm uh, in, in Nietzschean terms. A strong person doesn't say, hey, let's, let's treat each other equally. A strong person uses his strength, dominates others. That's what strength is for. And so uh, categories uh, like, like this like notion of equality uh, is, that, that seems to be at the forefront of the social justice movement Nietzsche just just has no time for, and and this is why he would despise the kind of group protests in favor of tolerance or group protests in favor of more equality. Uh, this is a this is this is the the sort of uh, residual and ungrounded uh, ideals from Christianity. It, it, Nietzsche understood this: the equality. Is, is born of Christianity, and Christianity provides us a theological and metaphysical um, justification for uh, making claims about equality. We can, we can say that human beings created in God's image are, are uh, equal in dignity, and therefore ought to be treated with respect. Well, that, that's a, it's a coherent claim. Uh, but simply to wave your hands and say, uh, equality is a good thing, and, and uh, I'm going to shout you down, shut you down, and uh, and make you hurt if you disagree. Well, it's just it's just a a kind of uh, uh, hodgepodge of incoherence. You talk about Nietzsche on forgetting, and that the process of forgetting is almost necessary for one to retain one's strength to get past prior misdeeds, either as a, as a as an individual or as a community. But you say there's one great big blind spot in Nietzsche in terms of coming to coming to terms with uh, maybe a, a guilty past, and that is for, forgiveness. There's no place for forgiveness in Nietzsche. And would you apply that to the social justice warriors as well? Yeah, that seems to be, that seems to be the, uh, the case. And forgiveness is a remarkable thing. Um, it's, and Hannah Arendt points this out in her book, The Human Condition, um, that, that, that forgiveness is a capacity that's uniquely human uh, because it does require a kind of uh, awareness of the past and also an ability to consider the present in light of the past and the future in light of, of both of those and, and, and nevertheless uh, move away from a kind of reactive strategy and simply um, say, uh, I'm not going to react. I'm going to forgive you instead of, of doing what even justice might seem to demand, that is, uh, draw, uh, draw blood, that, they're, they're, that I'm just going to forgive you. And, and in the light of a world that is constituted simply by the will to power, that is an it's an insane position. It's it's really, uh, and I think in in uh, in Christian terms, it, it points to a kind of of miraculous, uh, divine 
uh, intervention or divine possibility. We see, obviously, with the with the uh, with the whole uh, atoning sacrifice of Christ and and and, the, and and what that opens up, makes available for human beings as a kind of model, is is remarkable uh, ability to redirect anger and resentment that's that's even legitimate and and to uh to exercise something that is in a way beyond comprehension that is the the, the notion of, of forgiveness but without that all you have is power being exerted in increasing increasingly sort of furious modes uh in in a, in in uh in terms of of reaction uh you've offended me i'll strike back and now you have a justification to strike back at me and off we go it's it's the whole idea uh, rooted in, in blood feuds and and as thinkers like rene gerard and others have pointed out that that christianity actually uh provides the means by which those those uh patterns of behavior can be overcome and without that I don't see any the 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 the, the, the social justice movement um, will continue and and what you see in this kind of interesting it, it even starts to chew up itself right that 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 it will, it will find offenses even among allies and and uh, will become internally uh, uh, characterized by by turmoil and 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 this reactivity and and there's there's really no stable place for it to, to land. There's well, the, the one stable place would be everybody is destroyed except one person, and which which is just you know that, that's just destruction, or something like uh, what Christianity offers that is the possibility of forgiveness to to stop the the the, the madness of of reciprocal uh, response, uh, and and that's a that requires love, and that requires uh, something that Nietzsche just doesn't speak in terms of. This leads to really the the final point. So, final question: You have a nice, you have a nice speculation on page sixty nine where you say one wonders where the moral rage stops. Uh, last point, Mark. Where is the moral rage going to go in the next five, ten years? Well, that's that, that's a good question and a hard one. Um, it, it doesn't look like it's it's going to get better. Um, this doesn't look like it's going to burn out easily. Although you know, there's there's always surprising interventions that uh, are difficult to anticipate, like a, a worldwide pandemic that that, that one would hope. Uh, can help some people recalibrate. I don't think that's the case because you even see some of the uh, uh, government uh, help uh, that's that's being provided is is is, is being attached to, uh, to stipulations that 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 are in keeping with some of these social justice uh, ideals. Um, but I think it gets worse. Uh, and and I pray that it, it burns itself out. I think what individuals who are uh, concerned about this need to constantly po- be pointing out that 
it, it, it it's uh it's parasitic. I think you can you ask the social justice folks, well, wh- where is this notion of justice that you are uh, so uh, stridently defending? What's it rooted in? Is it simply rooted in your individual will? If so, why does it matter? Or are you making an appeal to something broader, a, a, a kind of uh, a notion about about moral truth that's that's beyond or above your your simple assertion? And if that's the case, it seems that that reveals kind of crack in the armor. Uh, if democracy, if equality, uh, if if the idea of rights themselves make no sense apart from a particular conception of human personhood, this is where I think the the the, the whole ball game right now, um, in many respects, has to come back to um, what does it mean to be a human being. And and I think we need to be just very careful uh, about uh, and and very clear that a human being is not merely a, you know, a lump of protoplasm, not merely a, a an unencumbered will, but but uh, a human being is a an embodied soul created in God's image with the capacity to make choices, and those choices can either. Uh, conform to an order of reality, or they can't oppose that. And uh, it, this is really just a matter of getting back to first principles and 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 being able to articulate um, what it means to be a human being, and and maybe even in a kind of apologetic sense, uh, being able to point out how some of the ideals that the social justice warriors are appealing to, yeah, they have they have. Good and important roots. So the idea of of equality is is a good thing in 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 a, in a particular uh, context. The idea of rights, of democracy, of tolerance these are not bad things. The idea of justice itself these are important categories. But we've got to ground them somehow, and uh, and you can't simply wave your hand and assert them. The book is Power and Purity: The Unholy Marriage That Spawned America's Social Justice Warriors. Uh, Professor Mitchell, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.